Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM Podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing and get real about women in business. Find us wherever you download podcasts, and of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim.com. Hey, everyone. Um... So if you're tuning in to (laughs) the video version of this podcast, ignore my giant eyebrows (laughs) because I'm getting them microbladed and it's like day two of the second session. Anyways, they look extra crazy when you first get them and my makeup is all messed up because I can't, I'm not even supposed to put makeup on. Oh my gosh. Anyways, ignore them because they go down after, (laughs) like after the first couple days. Um, This is my second session. So I I can confirm that. Anyways, if anyone's looking for a place to get their eyebrows microbladed, I have the most incredible place here in New York City. Highly recommended. Um, Anyways, um, hi everyone. If this is your first time tuning in, you're probably like, why the hell is this woman talking about eyebrows and microbleeding? I thought we were supposed to be talking about influencer marketing. Um, we are, except, you know, I'm a real person. So I, I sort of like to infuse my real life into this show. Um, if you are new, giant, huge, warm, welcome. I'm super excited to have you guys here. Of course, those of you who tune in every week, um, this is uh, the WIM podcast, y'all. So we've had this podcast, we're going on four years actually, which is so exciting. Um, New guests, fantastic guests all the time, sprinkled in with some solo episodes. So you can hear a little bit more from me and my strong opinions about all things influencer marketing, women in business, entrepreneurship, the whole nine. This week's guest, she's uh, incredible. I, If you are unfamiliar with the information, I highly recommend that you check them out. Sort of got on my radar probably like a couple years ago at this point. Um, I don't know how I found it. Probably an article that somebody shared. And I was like, the information, what is this? Um, they have a whole section on the creator economy. I find journalism broadly fascinating. Nonetheless, journalism all about the creator economy. Um, Gosh, with like the likes of like Taylor Lorenz and stuff like, and I don't know. And even in like the the age of, you know, Donald Trump and journalism has really taken a, a turn and is way more in the spotlight than it ever has been before. I feel like there's a magnifying glass on it the way that there hasn't been in a long time. I'm kind of all for it. I think we should always check our sources, not take anything at face value. And um, Kaya doesn't either. She takes her you know, research so seriously and um, she gets to meet really fascinating people. We talked a little bit about like how she even comes up with the the stories that she covers and how much of it is, you know, her opinion and how much of it is just like, you know, her disassociating her opinion just to give you the facts. Um, I'm sure a lot of you listening to the show now are like, I'd love to be quoted in a place like the information. We talk about that too. Like, how do you find your sources? Who do you quote? Who do you interview? And um, 
I love that this career path exists within the creator economy. If you are, you know, fresh out of school or looking for a change, know that you could be a reporter of the creator economy. Not enough people talk about some of these more unique career paths within our industry. She was a fantastic guest. I'm so excited to welcome her. So without further ado, let's get into it. excited to chat with you. I don't want to introduce you. I want you to sort of like talk about yourself. We will, we've heard a little bit about you on paper in the intro to the show. Why don't we start by just having you like briefly introduce yourself and sort of share a little bit, you know, how you even like ended up in this incredible role um, that you're in today. Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, so I'm Kaya Yuryev. I'm a reporter at The Information, which is a tech subscription outlet which covers Silicon Valley and the business world. Um, and I came on in April of last year after uh, four years at CNN, where I was covering social media platforms and big tech to launch our newsletter on the creator economy. So I've been covering really the business side of being a creator. So startups in the space that are catering to creators, doing profiles of creators and how they run their business and how they got started on social media, and just talking to the platforms and tracking how the big social players are fighting for creators and rolling out tools for them um, and looking at upstarts too. So that's been kind of um, the holistic view of it. And it really, you know, I thought I always wanted to be a journalist but I thought I would go into politics. I went to school in DC and I just kind of felt like the natural path, but I got into business journalism through an internship with Bloomberg News and I started covering tech. I mean, my first job was covering stocks. Like I was writing about like oil companies and, and just kind of all sorts of different sectors. And I really was drawn to tech. And once I, I actually went back to CNN after being an intern there and I was on the tech team and I was the youngest on my team. And I really thought we should do more coverage of like Snapchat and social media companies and looking at influencers. When I was in college, I Instagram and Snapchat were both starting to become really popular. And I watched, you know, blogs like Betches create this huge social media presence uh, on Instagram or like some of the original influencers like the fat Jewish and just watching them go from like meme page to entrepreneurs and making canned rosé brands and all this stuff. So, uh, you know, there, there were some reporters starting to cover it, but it was definitely an undercovered area compared to now. I, I gotta say first and foremost, you probably don't know this. We didn't talk about this when we like were chatting before we started recording, but like you are like living kind of like my dream life. <laughs> like I tell, I, I'm, I'm like a self-proclaimed news junkie and I, I don't know if I have the like chutzpah to like do what you do, but I think it's the coolest job ever. And then like, so you'd like, you know, you're working at CNN, first you interned there and then you ended up working there. And like, of course they did digging on you. And like, I saw your background and like saw your cool work history. And now I see like you're at the information, which is like such a cool, like in my mind, it's sort of like this like newish, like, I don't know, new age, like up and coming sort of like interesting publication. You're covering social media. So you're looking at the cutting edge of things. Like I just kudos to you girl. Cause like, I think it's awesome. 
what you're doing with your life. Um, so I, I'm curious though, I'd love to dig in like a little bit more, like of all the paths to go down, you said you were interested in like politics, you went to school in DC, like all the things, like how, how did you end up covering the creator economy? Was it like a conscious choice? Was it just like, you wanted to be at the cutting edge of something? Like, how did that, like, how did that really go? Yeah, I think, so when I was at CNN, I, I had this broad beat of covering tech. So in the beginning, I was covering like startups and even science topics. And it was really, really kind of general. And I was drawn to kind of the social media stories and some of the incremental things that they were doing in, you know, seven, six or five years ago now to attract creators. Um, so it was kind of a side beat and, and side stories that I was pitching. So I did a story on burnout, um, YouTuber burnout. I did a story on how trans creators on YouTube were, you know, connecting and providing education to other creators and some of the issues that they face with their content being demonetized. And um, so I, I started kind of pitching some of those stories, but at the same time, I was covering the broader tech space. So like, Facebook privacy issues, new iPhones. So it was kind of this, this very broad beat. Um, so when the information had this job open to focus solely on the creator economy, I was super excited uh, to do that because it was something that I was covering, you know, half that, half broader tech. Um, and I think as a journalist and as a creator too, if you have more of a niche, I think your work stands out more, you're more of an expert on it. Um, I do think that having the general tech background actually helps me do my job better because understanding, you know, the privacy changes that Apple has made and how that's impacting Facebook's business is very relevant to covering the creator space. So understanding kind of what's going on more broadly and um, at tech platforms, I think really just helps with having a niche beat. Um, but I think, you know, just as creators have niches, I think journalists who focus on one company or one subsector really are the ones that do really great work because they're so in the weeds um, and on top of everything that's going on versus having a, a more general beat. I love that you're saying that we've actually spoken about it on this podcast quite a bit. Cause I feel like in terms of like whatever aspect you're, you're working in, um, I don't know, people like historically have sort of educated and like taught people that, um, you know, you could be a generalist, you know, you should know a lot of different things. And I agree. Like, isn't it great to be like the go-to person for the creator economy or for like fill in the blank and you become an expert in your space. And if people know you for that thing, like, you know, you're, you're one of a few people that are thought of, um, when it comes to this specific niche. So I appreciate you saying that. And like, you know, part of our organization, like, sure. Today we're going to talk a bit about like the creator economy and journalism and how that all like impacts very much. So like the creator economy, like what you're writing, it makes a huge impact on this entire industry, which like, I, I, I think that's so dope. <laughs> um, but we're also, you know, we're always want to talk about like women in business and our career paths. And I love that you work in the creator economy, but in an area that like, I don't know, people wouldn't necessarily think that like, I want to be a journalist on the creator economy. That's, that's interesting. And I want to make sure that our listeners especially the ones who are like right out of college and are only exposed to a certain amount of job prospects are aware that like, oh my gosh, I could be like Kaya, like I could, I could work for a publication and write about it and like put my thoughts out there and interview people and tell interesting stories and 
I think that's incredible. So my question to you is like, how do you decide on the stories that you cover? Yeah. I think what's great is I have the newsletter as an outlet. And then I can also, we do events, we do, um, I do broader features on the space. So I have these different kind of mediums and modes of what I can cover. Um, and I think with the newsletter, you know, you can get a little bit more in the weeds on things and, and cover incremental stuff or something that might not be a whole full story. You can still kind of encapsulate in the newsletter. I think of it as really curating kind of the the most important things that are happening in the creator economy that day. It's Monday through Thursday. Um, we're off on Fridays. Uh, I have another junior reporter too that helps um, with the newsletter as well. So that's really helpful because for a long time, I was doing it just um, by myself every day. So it's given me kind of, it's opened me up to be able to do features. Um, so there might be something that is interesting and that's you know, a newsletter column. And then we can get into kind of startups or we'll highlight a startup or we'll, we have a running series called Creator Spotlight, where we profile creators every week um, and kind of talk about, you know, how they're how they're uh, making, a, how they're building a business and how they're making money and how they got started and if they expanded beyond a certain niche. Um, so that's something that might might be a story on its own, or it's we can make it into a kind of a digestible format and it's a, a weekly running series. So I think with the newsletter, you have a lot more flexibility and you can kind of go in the weeds on certain stuff. Or, you know, this week we had um, a study on like the highest earning pets on TikTok. And that was just kind of like a fun blurb in the newsletter that probably didn't need to be a full on story, um, but it was just kind of some, some fun stats. And then you can click on the report and go deeper um, if you're interested in that. Um, so it's really a mix. And then for features, I really look at it as more either bigger picture or honing in on a trend. I've done stories on, you know, creator economy startups pivoting into Web3 and crypto, which is something that I noticed. Uh, I did a story on tech employees who are also creators. So an Instagram employee who's also an influencer on Instagram and some of the tensions that might arise from kind of balancing those two jobs. So that's just kind of a flavor of the different stuff that I do. But I think having a newsletter and being able to do features and news together just is a great outlet for me um, to be able to touch on different aspects of the industry. I, I think that's so cool. So, I mean, first of all, I think it's awesome that you get to tell so many different stories, right? Like, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, what you write makes such a huge impact on this creator economy and like the amount of, I don't know, do you ever feel like like, do you, do you feel like you fully appreciate that your work really does make that much of an impact? And like, does it make you nervous, uncomfortable, excited? Like, what does that make you feel? I mean, it's so funny because I think with a newsletter, sometimes people will reply to, to an email and it's a little bit more immediate than when you put, put a story out there. Because when you have a story, people have to go dig up your email. And normally they have like very strong opinions either way if they're going to like reach out to write to you. So it is nice with the newsletter format where people can just like shoot me a note. Um, I started this in, in during COVID right when vaccines were kind of starting to come out. So we were still in um, pretty deep lockdowns. So you know, being out a little bit more in the world at conferences again, it's really nice when you run into people and they say, oh my gosh, I read the newsletter or, you know, you get that feedback. It's really nice. But I think most of the time I'm just kind of putting the newsletter out there or putting features out there. And obviously you read, you know, people sharing it online or read some of the comments, but it's been nice in person to, to, to get that feedback for sure. And yeah, like in terms of feedback, like so we're talking about like how you decide on what you write about and what you feature and things like that. Like, 
does the do the comments or what what's circulating out there sort of ever like influence maybe do you do like a secondary feature or go deeper into a story or you know oh I should really look into that like what is your news source to like help you decide like what you cover yeah, I mean, I think we definitely have um, a pretty specific audience here. So a lot of like venture capitalists and people that work at tech cl- platforms read the newsletter. So there are certain things they're really interested in. They're really interested in startups, funding, you know, our, we have a startup watch, you know, section in the newsletter where we highlight a startup that we think is doing something really interesting. So those have been really popular. Um, another thing that we noticed is that charts <laughs> are really, really popular. Um, oftentimes when we um, do charts in the newsletter, they're shared on Twitter or LinkedIn and elsewhere. So we've noticed that. So that's something that we've tried to do more of. Um, I think our challenge sometimes with the newsletter is that it comes out later in the day. So around 5 p.m. Eastern, I mean, depending on news, sometimes it goes out later. But, um, you know, if there's a big headline in the morning that's creator economy related, we don't want to just kind of do a digest of the news because people probably have already seen it. So it's really about doing analysis or comparison or saying something kind of new about what's happening. So we've done charts comparing like tipping features on social media platforms, creator funds, subscription products, um, ad formats. Um, I did um, a chart that was pretty popular on Twitter about kind of how all social platforms look the same. And we did this kind of chart of like, okay, short form video, these are all the platforms that have it. And I think just seeing something visually, especially in such a noisy and busy sector is really helpful for people where it's like, seems like everyone's rolling out tipping. Well, let's actually look at this high level and see like, what are the tape rates? You know, which platforms have it? What's the format? Um, So that's been something that's that we've noticed is popular. I think too, like I ask people in the space all the time, I'm like, what do you want to read about? Like, what are you interested in? Um, And kind of get ideas that way too. That's so, I mean, that makes perfect sense. Um, Like the idea of like putting the story together or a key part of it um, into some visual component, it makes it so shareable and like lean into the fact that like you're covering the creator economy, like how does it become shareable on social media? I'm sure that's like a big like that would make a lot of sense that you guys would focus on that. What is like the wildest story that you guys have covered? It, maybe it's just gotten the most engagement or you're like, I can't believe I wrote on this. Like, <laughs> what is the wildest story you guys have covered thus far? So we somewhat recently launched a weekend section, which is more focused on tech culture. Um, so I wrote, uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of like an online magazine type Uh, style. So we have a cover story every week. So I did a a cover story recently on uh, VTubers, virtual YouTubers. I don't know if you're familiar with that genre. I am, but not a lot of people have. So um, basically, it's people who live stream with a virtual avatar and using, um, you know, motion capture technology. You know, if I was like an anime girl, I would be doing my movements, right, as an avatar. Um, So it really opens up the medium to, to lots of different people who might not want to be on camera for whatever reason. Um, it started in Japan on YouTube and it's made its way over to the U S and is particularly popular on Twitch. And, um, there's a VTuber named Iron Mouse, who is this mysterious woman who's Puerto Rican. There's not a lot known about her. 
no one knows her age, where she lives, her real name. But she had she did a subathon, which basically a lot of um, streamers do to kind of drum up excitement and they keep their stream live and and they get more subscribers that way and 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 attention. And so she did a subathon and she is actually now the most subscribed to female Twitch streamer of all time, which is really crazy. And she has just smashed all these records and um, she has a disease that, you know, she's often bedridden and she relies on plasma donation. So the fact that she's been able to be a streamer and be able to use this avatar as kind of an extension of herself, which is just a really fascinating story. Um, so it was focused on her, but also looking at the VTubing space and talking to another VTuber as well, who used to stream on camera and then switched to VTubing. Um, she also has um, a health condition too that causes scarring on her face and, and some other issues. And she said that it's just helped, really helped with harassment and it's just been um, a really great kind of creative outlet for her. So it's just been, that was a really kind of fascinating deep dive for me because I wasn't super familiar with VTuber culture. There is, you know, entire VTuber management agencies and, um, you know, because a lot of VTubers too are anonymous, that raises a ton of questions for kind of how comfortable brands are with working with them. If they don't really know who the person is. Um, I, I spoke with Iron Mouse over Discord, over a voice chat, and, you know, I don't know her identity. I don't know who she is. Um, but so this was kind of a really unique, interesting story and, and just a window into, you know, gaming culture and, and not just gaming too. I mean, they're not just gaming and they're doing other things on stream, but that was a really kind of interesting story that I had to really learn a lot about. It wasn't something I had, I was super familiar with before I wrote it. That is fascinating. I knew the teeniest, tiniest bit about that space, but you just educated me so much. And now I definitely want to go and like check out that article, that piece. For a piece like that, do you have a preference? Like, do you do quite a bit of research before, or do you sort of like intentionally go into it kind of like not blind, but like, you know, open to learning and just sort of like ask questions as they come up in real time? Like what's your style for, for investigating like a new, a fresh story for you? Yeah. I mean, I think you always go into a story with somewhat of a thesis, but that can obviously change and you have to be open to that changing, especially as you talk to more and more people. I think the key with these stories is just talking to as many people as you can and getting as many perspectives as you can. You know, I do definitely do research um, at the beginning. I do research in between. I really try to have the experts educate me. So I spoke with, you know, um, the founder of one of these VTuber agencies who was on the founding team of Twitch as well and was basically like, talk to me as if I've never heard of VTubers or streaming or anything um, and just kind of bring it down to that level. Um, I spoke with, you know, the, the developer of an app that's actually... Uh, making you able to stream with your VTuber. So you try, I try to talk to as many people as I can, obviously the creators themselves, um, but it's kind of an ongoing process. Um, I spoke with the, with YouTube as well to hear about kind of the trends that they were seeing. So I think the more voices you can get and the more voices you can talk to just makes for, for a better story. But I definitely am doing independent research on, on my own um, as well as doing the interviews. Do you find that people are like, always like what are people's perceptions when you reach out are they excited to speak with you or are some people like a little nervous when you approach somebody to do research or interview them like are, are most people receptive to it or are some people a little hesitant 
I think it depends on the person. I mean, generally, I think people are pretty receptive. Uh, sometimes it's just an issue of time. <laughs> if they don't have the time that week or for the deadline, um, I think people generally want to kind of have an idea of what the story is about and, and other people that you've talked to sometimes. But I think generally people are, especially, you know, people that have an, a niche expertise, like they want to share that and they want to educate people and they want to make sure that the story is, you know, reflective of, you know, their view or, or their work. So I found that generally people are pretty, um, pretty receptive and, and, and want to chat and want to be involved. Obviously it depends on the topic, but. It depends on the topic. It's interesting. I sort of asked that because I remember when I was representing influencers, I had, um, we had, I think it was like 2020 reach out. This is years ago. Um, I just got the sense that they were going to like spin it in a way that was like, it felt like it could have been negative, you know? So I guess maybe it like depends like who you're speaking with. Like if I, like as a, a talent manager, for example, like, I don't know, I, I feel this natural like inclination to be like protective of my clients. And anyways, that was like a specific scenario that I thought of where I was like, oh, like, should we even talk to this reporter? So I guess it depends on like, you know, it depends on your, your work historically and like the type of content you've put out there. Are you putting people on blast? Are you like a, a TMZ who's just like intentionally sort of like being, you know, sensational or are you really like, you know, just drilling down to facts and, and things like that. And so I think your work probably speaks for itself and, you know, the publication probably speaks for itself that there's like so much credibility in what you're doing and um, certainly not trying to put people on blast. So it makes sense that people would be receptive to you. Um, I would love to hear, I mean, you've covered so many different topics within the creator economy and I think it's interesting for people to read your stories for so many reasons. You know, I want to hear your opinion today, Kaya. Like you're supposed to think critically about influencer marketing. It's like your job. So in that vein, what do you think needs to change in the creator economy based on all the stories that you've covered? Yeah. Yeah. So I think with the newsletter, I have a little bit of an opportunity to provide some of my analysis and commentary. I'm definitely not an opinion writer, um, but I do think people want a point of view, which I think is different than an opinion, because like you said, I've been covering the space. So if there's an announcement, like for me, it's more about putting it into context. Um, and also like, you know, part of my job too, like I, I don't do PR. I'm trying to tell the story and tell it fairly. And, you know, in some cases be critical of whether it's a company's attempts. You know, I, I wrote a story about kind of Spotify's clubhouse competitor and how it was basically a ghost town and how there wasn't a lot going on there and, and, and talked a little bit about my experience of opening up the app. And there was a room where literally a person was speaking to no one. Right. So like there are those moments. Um, but I think, to your question on influencer marketing, um, I think what's been interesting to see is um, TikTok's rise. And it's really kind of put some juice into bringing back some creativity. I think we've all seen the Instagram posts that are just feel super product placement-y and just don't feel super authentic. And I think what a lot of TikTok creators have been able to do successfully is integrate products in a little bit more of a natural way. Um, so like there's so many amazing comedy uh, and hilarious comedy creators who do skits and have characters that they play and they've been able to 
bring brands into that naturally in a way that's entertaining and halfway through you don't really realize it's even an ad. Um, so I think that's been that's been really kind of refreshing to see versus like the toothpaste or you know gummy vitamin <laughs> ads that we see on Instagram. Um, I think another issue too is like there's definitely more that can be done on pay transparency. Uh, there's been a lot of studies and reporting out there on underrepresented creators getting paid less um, or women getting paid less than male creators. Uh, there's some startups that are starting to pop up to address that and, and acting as kind of like a glass door of brand partnerships. Cause I think it's, it can be a really lonely career. And, you know, if you're a journalist or you're a lawyer, you can go online and get a market rate for what your salary should be. But that's really hard when you're a creator, because it depends on so many things. You could be a nano influencer with 10,000 followers and still make a really good living, right? Just because you have a smaller follower base, you might have a more engagement and that, you know, how do you price that? How do you, you know, how do you decide, how do you negotiate the rights and like all of this stuff kind of goes into it. So I think just more transparency um, on the brand side and just for creators, maybe it's just talking to each other or managers kind of have a good, good intel into, you know, how much other creators they work with are making. So I think that's another issue. Um, and then two, another thing is, the payments take so long and <laughs> no one talks about that, right? Like it could take, you know, 30 to 90 days for a brand to pay a creator for a sponsored post. So I've spoken to creators who are, you know, doing gig work or, you know, stuff in the meantime, because when they rely on brand partnerships and it can take so long for them to get paid, you know, they have bills to pay in the meantime. So I think that's another thing too. And you're seeing again, startups kind of come in and do some upfront financing and, and other features like that to help. But I think those are kind of just three things that, that stand out to me. Well, you definitely have your finger on the pulse because I feel I cannot concur more with all of those things that, oh my gosh, you're saying 30 to 90 days. Like, I feel like 90 days is like the norm now. And it's even going beyond that. Uh, we, we talk a lot about that in WIM. Oh my God. And our Facebook group and our Slack channel, like our Slack board, like we, people are like, oh my gosh, did you work with such and such company? Because like, I haven't gotten paid. They're so delinquent. What do we do? Yeah. And the issue, one of the issues is, is that like, it's like who has the power in that dynamic? Um, and it's the person who's paying, you know, like what leverage do you have if you've already posted, right? Like, um, if you, if you've already signed a contract, you've already posted and, you know, people are like, Oh, I'll write in, you know, X clause to be able to, you know, protect myself from late payments. But like, you know, that is only so good as if you're willing to enforce that agreement and very few people ever do when things go awry. So I appreciate that you're saying all those things. I want to hear more stories about those. I want to hear solutions about those things because they're very prominent issues. We hear them a lot. And so my, my next question to you is like, these are the things that you think need to change, you know, like pay transparency, for example, like 10, you know, high five to that, like tenfold for sure. I, I can definitely like, um, I can definitely concur with that in my opinion. What do you think is actually next to change though? Because I think that is a completely different question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think something I'm watching is just the monetization space for so long, you know, brand partnerships have been the bread and butter. And I'm curious if that changes at all. I mean, I, I don't think it goes away, but we've seen over the past year or two years, 
you know, this push from tech platforms to really offer more direct monetization. For a long time, YouTube was kind of the only game in town if you wanted to make money just by creating content. And they've built, um, you know, a really powerful, you know, partner program. And I think a lot of companies now are waking up to the fact and trying to do a similar thing themselves. Um, You know, we've seen the rollout of creator funds and a lot of them like the YouTube shorts fund and Facebook's billion dollar investment in creators. Those are all set to run out of the end of this year. So I'm curious kind of what happens next. There are platforms still going to be really aggressively courting creators do things like online courses or sub stacks or Patreons become a bigger slice of the pie for creators. I, I think creators have realized that it's really important for them to diversify their income. So that's something I'm, I'm interested to see if it does change. I don't have a, a good answer on, on whether it will. And obviously, each creator has a very unique business and um, different things work for different people. But I think that's been really interesting to see. Like We saw this huge rollout of tipping and subscriptions and all this stuff. Like, Does that actually work? Is that a meaningful driver for people? Exactly. Like, is it, you know, it exists, but like, are people getting five extra dollars or are people getting, you know, an extra income stream? Um, you know, I've heard a lot of people talk about like, oh, we, we're so excited. We finally got access to, let's say like, you know, bonuses, you know, and rules, for example, or part of this program or that program, whatever. It's like, you know, it's like this privilege that you've, you know, unlocked access and they work so hard and people are starting to finally like come to terms of the fact that like we're talking hundreds of thousands of views for like not that much money. <laughs> um, and so, you know, people are starting to sort of poke holes in it. I think it's like people just like you who like really dive into it and not just take it at, at face value, but really say like, okay, like what does this actually convert to? What does this actually mean? Um, I hope, I hope there's more income streams. I hope, you know, somebody who, you know, I'm an influencer marketer. So it's all, it's so much about like brand deals and brand endorsements. I hope that influencers find, discover, explore additional ways to make income beyond just that, because it could be so, um, unpredictable in terms of how the frequency of work they're getting. And I don't know, it's like, do you only just want to promote other people's brand? Like, don't you want to have your own, you know, something with more ownership to it? So I, you know, the jury's out and I look forward to learning more from you in terms of like, are the meaningful additional revenue streams from the platforms directly or is it something else? I mean, for example, I was reading an article this morning talking more about, you know, how Instagram is now, you know, finally, not finally, but they're leading into the NFT space where it's so interesting. I mean, you're talking about Web3. I'm like that geek. I am obsessed, <laughs> obsessed with all things Web3 and especially how it relates to the creator economy. So when it comes to like Instagram and NFTs, for example, like in their, one of their initial announcements with um, Adam Azari, my unofficial boyfriend, um, (laughs) you know, he was saying, you know, well, I know that the key core sort of question that some people have, we're very familiar with Web3 and NFTs is like the fact that it's decentralized. um, And, you know, the fact that like Instagram is sort of the antithesis of that and like how will that work and we're still trying to figure that out. I appreciate the transparency. I appreciate, I appreciate the, you know, being him being candid and stuff, but I, I am curious how that's going to pan out. What are your thoughts on 
like, I don't know, NFTs broadly and how that relates to the creator economy. And then specifically, if you want to talk about Instagram's involvement in that, I think that'd be, I'd be awesome to hear. It's funny because I, I talk to creators usually once a week. Sometimes I'll do a bunch of interviews kind of in one day and space them out. But I have kind of a list of questions that I ask everyone. And obviously it can vary a little bit, but I'm often asking creators about NFTs. And it's, I would say like 80% of the time it's met with like dead air. And it's just like, uh, like I think we're still really in the early days of it. I mean, I one creator was like, NFTs, I'm still deciding whether I want to launch a podcast. Like that's where I'm at right now. So I think it's early days. We saw this huge hype cycle around it last year. Obviously, people sold an NFT for a record amount of money. And I think that really started kind of kicking things off. Um, you know, marketplaces like OpenSea raised, you know, crazy, crazy funding from venture capitalists. Um, but now like we're definitely seeing it cooling. Um, you know, NFT prices have, um, you know, have gone down pretty dramatically. We're obviously in a, in a broader market downturn. So you're seeing also crypto prices fall. Um, so I think some of that excitement is, um, you know, at least fizzling a little bit. And some of these like NFTs that sold for crazy amounts of money now are not being able to fetch kind of those same prices. I'm more interested in, in NFTs that can provide some sort of real you know, real world utility. So like if you're a musician and, and someone buys this NFT and they get, you know, backstage passes to your concert or something like, I think those are the opportunities where creators, whether it's an artist or a meet and greet with a YouTuber or whatever it is, that's where it can kind of provide some value. Cause I think just like owning a digital JPEG is not super exciting for most, <laughs> for most people. Um, so I'm interested to see kind of how it shakes out. We're coming off of this like huge, crazy wave. Um, and now we're seeing YouTube also planning something with NFTs. Obviously on Twitter, you can change your profile picture to an official NFT. So, you know, I, I think it's still niche um, and creators are, are still kind of figuring out what the value is. I think also at the same time, we've seen like lawsuits against crypto scams um, with some big celebrities who have been promoting it. So I think creators are also often cautious where they're like, if this is a space I don't totally understand yet, I don't want to necessarily be selling this to my followers, or I don't want this to look like some kind of gimmick or get rich quick thing. So I have seen creators, a lot of creators take like a thoughtful approach to it of just being cautious, trying to learn more about it. Um, I still think we're in such early days. I don't own an NFT. I've never tried to buy one, but I've also heard it's super complicated. Like I think the tech is just not really there yet. So I think there's just a lot that still needs to, to move forward. But the sense I get from a lot of the creators I speak to is that you know, they might dabble in it. They might like try to do one type of NFT launch and learn from it. But a lot of them are, are still sitting it out at this point. It's very early days. And look, as somebody who like your background is like covering tech and, you know, you still do obviously, but um, I, I think it's spot on. I agree with what you're saying in that like the tech is very early days. And, you know, the fact that it's so difficult to even like add money into like your your crypto wallet, like MetaMask or whatever it is, that's like such a huge barrier to entry that like they just, we have to overcome that before it can become anywhere close to mainstream. I think it's cool that, you know, there has been such 
interest in it um, in something so like that seems so like obscure, you know, like it seems pretty far-fetched. Like what you're saying, like most people think of NFTs as art and that is just like a, a, you know, JPEG, let's say, you know, in a digital wallet. And the fact that like that alone, which is most people's perception, like took off and people were intrigued by that and talking so much about that, like that's pretty fascinating. But I could not agree more with what you were saying about, you know, if anyone listening wants to explore more about NFTs, definitely listen to what Kaya was saying, which is like explore NFTs in terms of utility. And I mean, we're transparently looking into that. I've got so many ideas about how like, you know, if you own a whim NFT, that could unlock all these membership features and like, you know... I don't know. I don't want to give away too much of what we're hoping to build here, but like, I agree that, that, and just like as a consumer, not even as somebody who is looking to build my own NFT, but like as a consumer, what NFTs would I want to buy? Like, I don't know. I, I like, so I'm upset. Do you know the, my BFF community? I'm sure you do. Yeah. So, um, for anyone who doesn't know, it's like, it's, it's a community with like, they have a ton of like celebrities and stuff who are involved, but it's, it's basically supporting the education about NFTs, Web3, crypto for women specifically. So someone who owns a women's focused networking professional organization, that's my jam. And I was uh, introduced to it like a few months ago and I've been following them ever since. And I think it's fascinating what they're doing. Part of owning their NFT is that it gives you access to certain things, a lot of different things. And I think that 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 has more staying power. <laughs> like that has, that has, that will, I would assume motivate somebody to really purchase it. And their NFT, I looked into it the other day. I don't own it. I wish I did. And I wish I got into it early on. I think it's up to like 600 or so bucks at the minimum um, to get one of their NFTs, but it unlocks all these things, which is so fascinating. Anyways, putting NFTs aside, but I, I appreciate and hearing your perspective on it. I think it's really interesting for sure. What are some of the untold stories that haven't made it to print, but you personally wish did? Mm-hmm. I think we're starting to see more of it, but we don't talk as much about like the darker side of the industry. Like we're not having a labor conversation about creators in the same way that we are about gig workers. And like that took some time, but I think people still have this perception of creators that it's like, Oh, it's selfies and it's video and it's easy and it's fun and you get free stuff. And like these people are building real businesses and are real entrepreneurs and they don't have benefits of being in a corporation. They have to figure out their health insurance. They have to figure out, they don't have PTO there. There's this meme that's like quit my nine to five and now I work 24 seven. And it's very true. So I think that's an interesting conversation. And we've had all these, you know, conversations and and legislation and all this stuff come about with gig workers of whether they're independent contractors or whether they're employees. And I think we don't really talk about that as much with, you know, YouTubers are getting AdSense checks from Alphabet, Google's parent company, you know, like, but they're not employees and they don't have benefits. So I'm curious, like where that conversation goes. Um, I think too, like, we don't talk very much about like minors who are creators and children who are creators and, you know, the impacts there, obviously there's a ton of really thoughtful parents who are navigating those issues and trying to do the best that they can. But I I did a story in, I think it was early 2020 about um, parents of teen TikTok stars who just went viral on the app. And now they're, they've had to contend with like 
should my child go to college? Should they pursue this? You know, how, what's my comfort level of the content they're putting out? So I think like some of those issues, I think we're not talking about as much. And I think too, just across the board, we need to do more work to cover underrepresented creators, underrepresented founders in this space and, and telling, you know, some of those stories and telling more creator stories in, in general. Um, I, I, I love that. I think that's fantastic. I, we got in a bunch of questions actually from our members. Um, a lot of them came in on our Instagram stories yesterday when I was telling people that I was so excited to chat with you. So I'd love to just ask you a few of those questions. Um, so we're going to start with a fun one that came in and one of our Instagram followers asked, what's your favorite social media platform? Oh, that's such a good question. Uh, I would say Instagram. Awesome. And and what part of Instagram or or why Instagram? I think for me, like I I do really like TikTok and I get into like the rabbit holes of TikTok where you're like scrolling and scrolling and you're entertained. But I think I like that Instagram has a little bit of everything where I'm catching up with friends, I'm direct messaging, I'm in group chats, but I'm also watching creators and connecting with creators. So for me, it's a good mix. Whereas I think of like YouTube and TikTok as more like pure entertainment. I'm going there to watch stuff. I love that. That's awesome. I would love, uh, we had another, we had another question come in from on our Instagram stories and they were asking, what would you tell someone who would be like interested in becoming a social media like tech reporter, like basically somebody who would be following in your steps, uh, footsteps in early days. What advice would you give them? Yeah, I mean, I think like when you're early on in your career too, you just have to be open to kind of just getting experience. Like I was writing about stocks and like oil and gold companies, you know, like which has nothing to do with what I'm doing now. But I think the skills that I learned there and just kind of the basic journalism skills served me well. But I think just like pitch ideas, especially when you're young and starting out in your career, you have the benefit of really having your pulse in the cultural zeitgeist. I'm in my late 20s now. So I'm like farther away from what like teens and college students are doing online. So that's really a huge benefit because people always want to know what young people are doing. They're the ones driving trends. Platforms want to cater to them. So you have a really good hedge on what's happening just by virtue of being young and being on these platforms. Um, So I think just you know, getting out there, pitching stuff. You could even start as freelance and identify some of the publications that are covering these topics and try to connect with editors and do that. But I think just just getting your foot in the door in journalism in general will serve you well. And you don't have to have like your dream job or your dream beat day one. I definitely didn't. <laughs> it took it took me some time to kind of get there. But I think especially as someone who's young and on social media and using these platforms, you have so much visibility into the stories that should be told. Yeah. Oh, that's such good advice. We got in another great question. We got in a lot of great questions. I'm like, honestly, filtering them because we got it a bunch. Um, another one that we got on our Instagram stories is, who are your favorite reporters to follow in terms of social media, influencer marketing, or the creator economy? Oh, there's so many. So I'm going to miss people. But I think uh, like Taylor Lorenz is just such a pioneer of this beat and has um, become a personal friend too. And she's really done a lot to legitimize this as a coverage area. First, the New York Times, now at the Washington Post. So definitely everything she does is a must read. Um, there's a whole great team at NBC, including Callan Rosenblatt, who just do 
really great kind of internet culture type reporting. Um, there is a great Substack newsletter um, by Kate Lindsay, who is really has her finger on the pulse. It's called Embedded. Um, and she talks a lot about internet culture. Um, Kat Tenbarge also is at NBC and does great work. Um, Rebecca Jennings at Fox um, does a column every Tuesday on kind of what's happening online. Definitely missing some people, but off the top of my head, there's a lot of great women in the space who are who are covering uh, these issues. I love that there's so many women. Those are like all women that you're listing. That's fantastic. Do you guys all know each other? I mean, you're saying like you and Taylor Lorenz are friends, but like you all sort of like meet each other, know each other, talk. Like I know influencers are all like best friends with each other. It's so funny. Like, do you guys have like group chats going? <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh, Kelsey Weekman's another one at BuzzFeed um, who's great. I think too, like I'm hopeful too, as like VidCon and stuff comes back and there's more events, like we'll see each other more in person. But yes, we, I think like this has been a really supportive group of women who really like share each other's stories and have just kind of become friends just by virtue of covering um beats and obviously you know sometimes we're we're covering similar issues but i think especially in this beat there's so much going on that i think there's so much room for coverage and no one is covering the space quite in the same way or in the same area like i'm very focused on the business side um you know other people might be more focused on you know, the internet culture side and what people are doing online or, um, so I think like there's a lot of space. Um, there's a lot of space. I think that's really intriguing. So I appreciate you sharing that. It's been so lovely having you on today, getting to know you. Um, I'm a big fan of your work. So just, I appreciate you doing the work that you do. It's really so important to our industry as a whole. Um, I, I don't even know if we've really spoken about this, but every single Thursday, I do like a live audio room where I, I cover like the week's biggest news stories. And very frequently we include your stories. So I'm just so appreciative of what you do and you help us all be so well informed. Um, and so for anyone listening that like hasn't read your stories or wants to check them out, what's the best way for them to explore your work um, and to even potentially get in touch with you? Yeah. So uh, if you go to the information.com and you go on their newsletters, you can find uh, the creator economy newsletter and sign up for free um, to access kind of our our full features and our database of creator economy startups. You have to be a paid subscriber, but the newsletter is accessible to anyone. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter and most social platforms. Uh, my handle is at KUREF. Um, on LinkedIn, I'm starting to share more on LinkedIn too. Um, and my email is just kaya at theinformation.com. I read my DMs, so I'm pretty easy to, to reach. Fantastic. And we will, of course, link all of that in the show notes to um, this episode. Kaya, thank you so much for joining today. It's been such a pleasure having you. Is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with before we go? I don't think so. Just to really appreciate you having me. And, and thanks for all the great questions. Thank you so much. And thank you guys for tuning in. And um, we will see you next week. Bye, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, we got to have you back. Check out our website for more ways to get involved, including all the information you need about joining our collective. You can check out all the information at IamWim.com. Leave us a review, a rating. But the most important thing that we can ask you to do is to share this podcast. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. Tune in next week.